You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. of the X-Man Podcast. I'm your host, Doc Coyle. Thank you so much for checking out the program. Yes, we're back consistently for another week of shows. I'm excited. Am I excited? (laughs) Uh, So I'm doing this on Monday. I'm having one of these days where, so ever since I got back from tour, it's been this slow process of slowly reassembling my life and getting organized, having a list and I'm knocking things off. And, and it really goes back to like the month or six weeks before the tour. Cause it was so much work leading up to that. And you're just, you know, you're just work, 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 your life's in disarray. So I'm, you know, you have a pile of mail and people you have to call and credit card companies and taxes and, it's just, if it's not one thing, it's the other. So I finally, and I did this thing where I got a new computer, but I had to transfer my stuff from the old computer. The The, the point is I'm, I'm finally like ready to go today, right? The room is clean. It's, it's fairly organized, computer set up. And then I think what I would, I would regard as a, the, a case of the Mondays hit me where I just, I don't know, it just, I wasn't sharp. I was looking at my tweets and I have grammar errors and spelling errors. I'm just, I'm not sharp, not on top of it. And uh, I don't know, it's kind of one of those tap out days, but it happens and that's all right. That's why there's tomorrow. But yeah, I want to get back into recording and writing and all that stuff, but I have to, you know, I have to knock some stuff off, off my plate and I'm trying to kind of reconfigure my day-to-day schedule and, uh, you know, it takes some time, so we're going to get there. But yeah, I do have a case of the Mondays. My girlfriend has the case of Mondays. My dog is the case of Mondays. We're all, we're all flustered today. I don't know what to say. So, uh, but I'll, you know, I'll do my best to, to still have an excellent show. Uh, what else is going on? I'm trying to think. Yeah, nothing, nothing to announce on my end. I guess, I guess the big, the big news is Elon Musk buying Twitter. Is that, is that the big news? This week, that's what I've been I've been hearing hearing about, and uh, I did a little Twitter thread on this, and just to expound on that, if you have not read my Twitter, uh, <laughs> is I it seems very tribal how people kind of relate to this story. Either you're 
an Elon Musk supporter or you're an Elon Musk detractor. I don't, I don't, I don't know how we kind of get, got to that point. Um, Elon, you know, I think he's done a lot of really good things. Um, but he seems like he's like kind of a troll. Like that's his immature internet humor. <laughs> and, uh, he triggers the libs, which the other people like. So it's, it's, it's a very, very odd, odd thing. Um, I don't know. I think what, what struck to me about it was not necessarily Elon Musk in particular. He is on paper, the, the, the richest man in, in the world. And I say, and I say that because it's only, I guess, based on stock prices. So for him to fulfill that idea that he's actually the richest man in the world, he has to sell his stock. And, uh, but I guess, you know, technically he's the, he's the richest, he's the richest guy. And what it made me, made me think about how that much wealth can be kind of codified as real power in the world. And that if a rich person deems it so, then they can kind of just take control of some of these integral tools you know, and just kind of, and, you know, and, and I know that a lot of the conversation is around free speech and who controls that and how that's regulated and who gets kicked off, who gets to stay on. And, and, you know, I think there's a healthy conversation to be had around that, around what makes sense. And I, and I do think if, if you kind of hear Elon in, in a lot of different a avenues, I think he kind of factors himself as a little bit of a social engineer from some degree, like even, uh, was that the hyperloop, you know, the idea about driving underground or these trains that take you underground and just trying to have, um, technology that, that, that makes the world run a little smoother. So I think he has some ideas and, you know, I remember checking out some stories about it and, and I don't think all his ideas are bad, you know, when it, when it, when it comes down to it. Um, but I think ultimately when the, the tribalism aspect comes into it, I don't think what most people who are invested in the story want is a fair environment. I think they just want to run it, right? So the so if you're on the right and you're like, oh, these lefties, they run Twitter and they, they kick us off and it's not that you, they, they want it just to be like, call it balls and strikes. I think they'd rather have control. Um, and that's, I think that goes in both ways in a, in a, in a, in a lot of ways. So it's just, it worries me that once you have enough money, you can kind of just take over shit. I mean, it's literally called a hostile takeover and a lot of people are cheering that on. And to some degree, it feels kind of weird to have someone who is the richest man in the world, but perceived by many to be an underdog. And that seems very, very odd. I guess it's not too dissimilar from the, the Joe Rogan co controversy from a couple months ago, where he's the biggest show. So, but he's also the underdog. <laughs> he's the counterculture, but he's the biggest part of the culture. I, I don't know. It's, it's sometimes it's hard to square that. Um, and also that that situation is very tribal, as well. But, uh, but yeah, we'll 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 see how it turns out. I mean, I think I think it'll be fine either way. I don't think it's really going to have a great impact on, on how this stuff runs. And hopefully ultimately it, uh, 
gets everyone on board to to make these uh these tools work better because they're they're definitely very flawed so anything to move that conversation forward so anyway you know i, I don't know i it's it's funny i got, I got called a fence sitter <laughs> this week <laughs> that i uh i wait you know around until i and then and then say uh opinion that's um convenient or, or I, I go with the the flow which I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm that way at all. I think I, I think what I try to do is I think when a story is the newest and the freshest, it's when we know the least about it and we're the most emotional about it. So I think it's often better to kind of withhold severe judgment and, and kind of reactionary instincts, because I think those are often the, the, the worst instincts is to be reactionary and go, Oh, I saw this one video of this event and now I, I know exactly what it was. And then until the the video of the other angle shows up, I'm like, Oh, it turns out it's totally different. So I try and consume the most information about something and try and, uh, have something that has a 360 degree version of it. I don't know. I think, uh, when you have a criticism about yourself, it's important to take it seriously and go, are they right? I don't know. But I don't think I am. I think the this is the quandary of the of the centrist mind is is that you're labeled a, f- a fence sitter, but I think it's literally just taking all information into account and not um, disregarding anything just based on, oh, well, you're on this side, so you're not credible, so I'm just not going to listen to you. I don't know. Maybe I need to do some serious writing, deep thinking about this, the the uh, upsides of, of centrism and do that, <laughs> do that thing. Even though I get called, you know, uh, lefty, liberal, whatever, you know, insult someone could think about all the time. So whatever I am, I don't know. Who knows? You know, you guys listen to the show, you probably know better than me. Anyway, I'm running my mouth. Let's get into this show's sponsor for the week. It's a band called Generation Underground. And this is this will be the second time they sponsored the show. We're going to play a brand new song entitled Our Betrayal. Always there 
So that was Generation Underground with a brand new song entitled Our Betrayal. And that featured Pablo Viveros of Chelsea Grin. I believe he was doing those hard-ass vocals about halfway through the song. That was a lot of fun. That that main riff kind of felt like uh, that one Mastodon riff meets Unearth. You know, it's like a little, a little mashup there. And so this new song is from a brand new EP, which will be coming out on 420, 2022. It's called Cold-Blooded Volume 2, and that's with a K. Okay, you guys got that? All right, Cold-Blooded with, with a K. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, go check it out. There's a uh, music video for that song you just heard. There's a, I was checking on their, their, their website and their socials. There's a bunch of like playthroughs and all kinds of cool content related to that song you want to head over to generationunderground.com and that has links to all of their socials their youtube their instagram go over there give them a follow tell them you heard them on the x-man podcast and huge thanks to them for sponsoring the show and i hope you guys really enjoyed it and if you'd like to sponsor the show uh shoot me an email at the x-man podcast at gmail.com remember that is e x all right, we have a big show today, okay? Uh, I, someone I, w- I would definitely put in the legend category. Uh, I think one of the most important and influential and um, distinct vocalists in heavy metal for the last 25 years, uh, Mr. Burton C. Bell, uh, formerly of Fear Factory and Ascension of the Watchers. And, you know, I don't know Burton v- too well, Um but he's someone that we've you know had connections uh, in the industry and we'd run into each other all the time and he's just always been one of the sweetest guys and just super nice and friendly and always would just hang out and talk. And so it's just, it's cool. And you'll, you'll hear me say it in, in here that I was kind of surprised he was interested in, in, in doing the show uh, because it doesn't seem like he, he really gets there out there a ton with interviews and stuff, but I think his body of work really speaks for itself. And, you know, uh, people like Burton is really what this show was built for, to tell those stories of the the artists and individuals and creatives that are kind of finding their way to new chapters of their life. So I think this is, you know, definitely, definitely one of the important shows I've done. So I'm going to dispense with all this BS and get to the conversation. So please check out this great talk with the incredible Burton C. Bell. Well, listen, brother, um, listen, I'm, I'm really glad uh, you took your time to do this. I, I think for some time, I think I was a bit apprehensive to ask you because I don't know, maybe I was under the impression that you weren't not willing to talk or, or wanting to talk, but after we, we spoke recently, and by the way, that's all, I guess, of my own imagination, not, not that I, I think uh, you were saying anything, but I guess sometimes, especially around situations where there's a lot of contention or stuff in the press and or just, just whatever, I'm, I'm rarely the guy who wants to muddy the waters. Right. And uh, and I'm always approaching this stuff from a fan slash friendly 
uh, component, you know, and I always want to treat sure. these these situa situations with a certain amount of uh, delicacy and uh, respect, you know. I appreciate that. You know, but um, but but anyway, I, actually, I think it's a delicacy, but I meant delicate. Am I saying that correctly? Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, welcome to the show, and I guess where I want to kind of start start off is. You know, you've uh, been out of Fear Factory for I don't know a year or two, so, something that I left and left in September of 2020. 2020. Um, so, what's it been? What's your kind of life after that been like? How do you how have you felt? I mean, primarily about for really, I guess, the first time in decades, you know, kind of having distance from the band that has been the. the I feel really career. good. Um, you know, I've been creative. I haven't. I've been working on various uh, new projects, uh, just extending my creative abilities outward and onward, uh, not just musically, but writing, uh, you know, photography, you know, even extending towards painting and stuff like that, just being fully creative in every possible way. And, you know, not saying I did nothing for two years, but I've been busy for two years as well, just moving forward in my life path in my career and yeah. uh you know haven't looked back you know of course i love looking you know, i'm very proud of all the work i've done and in the past and always will be except maybe a couple songs but <laughs> there's a there's a you know it was time for me to move forward and uh it was that time so yeah, yeah i've just been busy working on new stuff different projects uh adding vocals to records with other bands or whatever just you know just trying to not trying to be relevant but just you know working whenever i can and you know uh learned logic pro <laughs> you know in the past two years that helped a lot so i'm able to do my own recording and remixing and all that good stuff is it a situation where it's announced you're out of the fear factory and then like are there like 50 bands calling you trying to get you to join their project or their band or their super group? Is that is that happening behind the scenes? Uh, I wouldn't say 50 bands, but there's been a few bands. Uh, but no no super group type of thing has uh, I've been offered that yet. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, I'm open to opportunities. And, uh, you know, if, if I'm approached, I'll give it a, a chance and give it a listen and see what it's all about. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of bands, you know, from, you know, from Russia to South America to Australia, that want me to like add vocals to their bands. I'm like, well, you know, let me hear what you got, and, <laughs> and uh, I go from there. Well, I mean, you you do have one of the most, I think, definitive vocal sounds, whether that's from a aggressive standpoint or from uh, a clean singing st standpoint. Like every when you hear you, it's you, you know, and that's, I think, probably the most important thing about being a, a, a singer that people connect to is that even if, and I'm not putting you in this category, but there are some singers who maybe they're not technically the best singer, but there's the sound of their voice is so distinct that there's only one of well, that person, you know? Well, I would put myself into that category. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm the best singer, but I do when I do well. And uh, I made... I know for a fact that I made a sound for myself and I am, you know, whenever you hear me on vocals doing some band, it's clearly me. So I definitely have, have made my own 
step in my own direction in that in that sense so you know that's what happens when you try and emulate a bunch of other singers and you come up with your own sound well <laughs> well so speaking of that emulation you know if, if you don't mind i'd kind of like to talk about kind of the early days and especially with 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 your vocal style and and that evolution because if you go back and you listen to soul new machine i was checking out the the concrete record as well when i listen to you it reminds me of barney from napalm death like that seems like the most direct influence is that accurate that's accurate um you know concrete actually came out first that was the yeah. never actually came out first but that was the ross robinson demo that was never really and never got came to fruition and uh except then but um in the early days you know i was highly influenced by lots of you know coming a lot of different angles uh napalm death was you know, i got introduced to napalm death through uh, uh other band members and i was more into godflesh uh fields and Nephilim, uh swans and if you're familiar with any of those bands uh like you know, justin broderick of godflesh and carl mccoy of fields and Nephilim, and michael gear of swans had a very low guttural sound uh, but it wasn't death it was more of a aggressive passionate type of release and um that's why i was influenced by and then i heard barney and napalm i'm like huh and it's like that's a little different <laughs> and uh you know what's odd is that um i was able to emulate barney in some ways or that death metal sound grindcore sound by utilizing my imp impersonation of dr claw from inspector gadget <laughs> <laughs> have you ever uh, done like voiceover stuff have you been hired no, I, I've, I've never been a poster but i've never done voiceover but it's like i'll get you <laughs> well if you can do that you listen you're you're leaving money on the table all right get, get out there get in the game <laughs> yeah i should it's just i just don't have a you know, I don't have a resume for voiceovers, but I guess I should make one. Talk to Derek Green from Sepultura. He does that stuff. Does he? I didn't. Uh, I have his number. Yeah, I could get a hold of him. I didn't know. I didn't realize he did that as well. I believe he does. At least he's posted a bunch of stuff about it, and he, you know, he has that crisp. He has a very sultry, sultry speaking voice. So. <laughs> yes, he does. Yes, he does. It's very smooth. Yeah. <laughs> so what well, I. I've, something I've been fascinated, and this is just really with the evolution of heavy music, right? How we go back to the days of Black Sabbath, and it's this one thing, and it just gets more aggressive and more aggressive, but then it also gets very mashed up, um, mm -hmm. in, especially in, in the 90s. And, you know, I had Dino on the show, me and him talked about this a little bit, about this, the purveyors of who was, like, the first bands to combine the singing with the screaming where it's very like definitive where it's like here's the scream part here's the singing part and even listening back to concrete it's like you guys had that formula right away it was very like tied into to the music um yeah, and so the, the first song i think we actually did that on was big god and it was a fluke really it was just i was just messing around in the studio and uh you know, there was this part I was just like, you know, I didn't feel I was, there was this part that was being played, and I was just sitting there listening, and all of a sudden, I, over the micro, you know, with my microphone, it just started because I had a, a delay pedal, a de echo pedal kind of thing. And I just put that on and um, trying to do something that Justin Brado could do. He did the low moans kind of stuff, and it came out in my way, and I was like, whoa, 
and was stopped. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I won't do it again. I'm like, no, do it again. <laughs> and um, then the first song we actually wrote to incorporate that in was Scapegoat. Yeah. Well, it's um, can you think of a band before you that was doing something like that? Or because I'm, it's a, it's a very tough thing to try and figure out. Like, who was first? Who was the one to uh, you know, innovate in that in that area because now it's the very common what they call the the good cop bad cop vocal, uh, <laughs> you know. Because um, I'm bipolar. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> listen, no. I, I think I think it's fascinating actually. Um, you know, you know it's but, a good question um, to really define who was the first one doing it because there was a lot of bands experimenting with vocals, uh, you know, with like more of aggressive singing, but would. It wasn't like a black and white type of thing, but uh, there was like span- bands experimenting with vocals with a heavy vocal, but would have sing a lot. You know, Mike Patton did it a, f- a couple times uh, before you know we were around. Um, probably on the not midlife, yeah, you know, before midlife crisis, the one epic album he experimented with a couple of things like that. With like surprise, you're dead is kind surprise of aggressive. Very cool song. Um, but uh, there was the, you know, I, Killing Joke kind of had that thing, but it wasn't like so black and white. Yeah. Uh, you know, but other than, other than those bands, I really can't think of another band that just did like heavy singing, heavy singing at all. It was just either heavy or just singing, but it wasn't ever. So I can't really remember, you know, but I always think of Killing Joke, maybe. Well, Mike Patton for sure. You know what I'm doing? I'm bringing out the championship belt. All right, we're just gonna give it to you and just. I mean, <laughs> here's the thing, Bird. What you need to do is, <laughs> you need to mythologize your own legend. You know, and then you just start. It's like I call it the kind of the Oasis trick, right? Like if you just go out, and I guess it's a little. This is it's Kanye ish too. You just go out and you go, we're the greatest rock and roll band in the world. Then people just start believing it. You know, so if you just it's tell true. people, you're like. That just needs to be like in your bio. It's like Burton Seabelt, the inventor of good cop, bad cop. And then you could wear. You've heard heard that over. You've heard that countless times over the the decades of like people singing heavy and and, uh, singing aggressively and then singing. Yeah, I started that. Well, and then what you need to do. And this, like I said, I'm, I'm going down a deep rabbit hole and you don't have to come with me, but you know, this is off the dome. Then your new stage persona needs to be like Two-Face where you just have like half your body is, is like this kind of makeup, this kind of outfit. And then when you're singing, screaming, you, you turn sideways one way. And then when you're singing, you turn sideways the other way and it, you have the best gimmick in the game. Like, Victor, right? like Victor Victoria. <laughs> um... <laughs> Please don't listen to me. Please don't listen. These are hairbrained ideas. Wednesday Wednesday 13 does something like that where he he sings backwards, but he puts a mask on the back of his head and he has like this butcher's uh, apron on. And it's like, it's very, very, you know, apoplectic looking. And you're like, what's going on there? And he turns around and it's it's, it's Wednesday 13. Like, oh, that's how he's doing it. Did you see that movie Malignant? Huh? The horror movie Malignant. Have you seen that? think so it, it came out that not that long ago but it's kind of about uh this uh person who has like uh uh was it like a 
conjoined twin in the back of their head that got buried and so they have this multiple personality so it's 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 pretty crazy i'm explaining it very poorly that sounds familiar it's a cool movie it's a cool movie really fun but uh anyway to move on uh going back to kind of the the vocal thing yeah I, i do think in many ways uh you and fear factory is the purveyor of that obviously that has evolved th- through the years to, uh, you know, I think the band that really codified it in the modern sense was Killswitch Engage, and they're probably the most, like, mm. copied in terms of their type of formula between the screaming and the singing. But I, right. I think but I think Howard, it is something... Howard did it pretty well. Oh, of course, man. I mean, him and Jesse are just... Inc- Jesse's abs- a great guy, too. Yeah. Absolutely in- incredible. But I think now, the the interesting thing about it, and I think it actually goes beyond rock music, because I think it's actually pervasive in hip hop and pop as well, where like, if you're a vocalist, but you can only do one thing, right? If you're just a singer, if you're just a screamer, I think it kind of limits what the band can do, or or I think you're given a lot more credit as a vocalist when you have more diversity and have more voices and tools kind of in your repertoire. I think you're right. And I think that's what helped Fear Factory in the the very beginning was that I had, I was offering something that other bands did not offer in the local scene or in the scene in general. And uh, when I started doing that, the way we started writing became different as well. It wasn't all about the heavy grooves or whatever. Uh, they were, you know, were trying to write actual harmonies or actual you know chords that I could I could sing to. I mean, I could find I could find harmonies in pretty much anything being written. It's like I'd hear it. You know, I get to hear it through the, the sinew of just like sounds and just like all the discordant sounds happening. But uh, you know, when you when you purposely write a chord just to, for someone to sing on, makes it easier. Um, and you know, to be honest, I was never like the singing wasn't like it wasn't done on purpose. It's just what I was feeling. So I guess it was on purpose. But it, that's what the that's what the part called for. And I was like, that's what I was that's what was calling to me. And, you know, when I was doing the heavy voice, I was like, I'm not screaming for no reason. I'm screaming for a reason and I'm vocalizing for a reason. There's a, you know, I'm passionately saying something I truly believe in. So it's like, that's the way, that's the way it would come out. And so the singing would be passionately saying what I feel at the same time. So, you know, it's just the two coming together, like a dichotomy of ideas coming together to make one, different just one whole complete concept and it was just worked out and uh you know i wish i had i wish i had trademarked it early on but (laughs) (laughs) never too late never too late were were you like a choir boy in catholic school or something because uh never went to catholic school but i was in the choir uh church choir school choir well because when i listened to especially the early the early records with the the clean singing it feels like hymns or something. It has this kind of, you know, church, but like those, like, cause you know, I'm, I'm mixed. So I have like the black family and the white family and all my white family is Irish Catholic. So you go to like any event at the church and it's all, right. right. But that's that it's, it's very interesting that there's a, that um, melodic and tonal quality to it. I, I like, I wonder, maybe that was just, related to like the chords or maybe that um was under the music and you were singing to that but it has this it's it's my type of singing i was called a crooner early on yeah 
And so it's like a crooning, but to, to lack of a better description, it's crooning, but it's also inspired by those type of soaring type of vocal. Yeah. Uh, you know, very long notes held out. You know, I love I love a good delay and love to hear the 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 chorus being created in the delay. So I like to sing over that and just you know, it's just very just it's just very uh soaring type of sound. Yeah. Yeah, right on. But no, I was never in Catholic school. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, there's something, there's some, you know, medieval kind of uh hymnal, you know, influence in there that that, that came up subliminally. That's the uh, that's the uh, the goth influence in me. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so I one thing I really noticed going back and listening through all the stuff is there's this distinct tonal shift, um, especially in your aggressive voice between Soul of the New Machine and uh, Demanufacture. Mm. Was that intentional or is that you just getting better from like getting your reps in on the road and just working and developing your own sound? Um, getting better. Uh, it wasn't like an intentional thing because when we started out, we didn't do that many shows in LA. We never toured. We probably played like 10 shows in LA before we even got signed. I mean, 10, under 15. And so this, our sound was still developing. And our first tours, you know, our very first tour was with Sick of It All and Biohazard. And that was a West Coast tour. And that was... That to me was very inspirational. Uh, watching Lou Kohler on stage, what a what what a presence he had. He he was able to, the way he interacted with the audience, the whole band in general. You know Pete and Lou, but uh, Lou was just like it was watching him was just like I, w- I would take notes. And um, you know Biohazard, they had their thing on stage. Billy was a uh, way Billy and Evan were very uh, interactive with the audience. And I like that. And so but, uh, learning how to sing on tour, on stage, really, I was able to develop my vocals a lot more because on Solo the Machine, Solo the Machine is exactly that. It's the birth and the growth. It just shows the growth of this band being born into where they were when they recorded that album. So it, I was, we were all growing as musicians, as songwriters, producers, and that's where we were at the time. After that, I just, we just all got better. Honing our skills live, touring live was a, made a big deal about it. it yeah, was, it's, it's so interesting that you bring up uh, Sick of It All and Biohazard and the hardcore scene because that's what actually I was gonna say was that listening back to, to to the stuff it it has a hardcore uh tinge to it there's something it's not a death metal thing it's not necessarily a you know like a i don't know a a kind of what you uh perceive as like a modern scream or kind of the fry scream it it has that shouty hardcore thing to it which is which is great like it has so much energy to it you know that's right and we did uh we also toured with a few hardcore bands throughout Europe during that time period as well, before we recorded you manufacture. And it just, you know, it rubbed off on me. I was like, okay, I get it. You know, the adding that, you know, what I'm trying to say is important and I need to like express it passionately. And that's the best way to do it. Not screaming, just like, you know, like shouting like a yeah. preacher. It was like, get this out of here. You know, <laughs> and now I'm telling you this. And, 
it's uh i think that's a very important way of vocalizing you know because if you don't if if you don't believe in what you say no one else is going to believe it either yeah it's, you have uh, to express it passionately but yeah um the hardcore scene was uh definitely a big influence on the manufacturer not just the music but also the way we were what was going on in los angeles at the time as well uh this the breakdown of society complete another breakdown uh, martial law coming rolling in the riots you know, martial law being rolled in by the national guard it was it was times are crazy it was it was a hardcore time in los angeles hell yeah hell yeah and also and i think it's reflective in all the you know that was a big flood of great bands coming from the area at that time as well oh yeah it was absolutely la had a lot of great bands during that time uh you know rage against machine started that same, very same time god i think i remember played a show early on with rage against machine early on and uh you know i thought it was cool back then watching zach was like damn but i remember <laughs> seeing um oh, what's his name the, the guitar player um the guitar player of rage um oh tom morello tom morello i remember seeing him in a band before he was in Rage Against the Machine called Lockup at the Palace, at the Palace, and that was actually pretty cool. But uh, it was nothing like Rage Against the Machine. Well, there's another <laughs> Lockup featuring. I, it's like what? Uh, it's like Thomas from At the Gates and Shane. Shane Embry, uh, yeah. Shane Embry, and I think was it um, Nick Barker? I think was in Lockup. It's a bunch of bunch of people. Yeah, for a moment, yeah. Death Metal Supergroup. The new yeah, lockup was a death metal super group. The new old lockup. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, so it was you know the time period that we were growing, you know, living and growing up in Los Angeles during that time was very affected us greatly. So it was, you know, we were raging against the system as well. Yeah, no, ab absolutely, absolutely. So there's kind of a deep cup record, uh, maybe not for us, but for I think uh, you know, I think somehow, especially a lot of records in, in the 90s and from like when that kind of groove metal thing was happening, I think like a lot of those records get lost to time. And one of that is the Geezer Project oh, that yeah. you did. And as a kid growing up in Jersey, I listened to WSOU a lot, and they would play the songs from, from those records all the time. And you did a whole record with that. And for people to know, this is Geezer Butler from Black Sabbath. Uh, how did that come about? How did you end up being the vocalist for Geezer Butler's solo no, band. Well, it was a it was a very fortunate turn of events. Um, you know, if you don't, honestly, people don't know Geezer Butler was the bass player of Black Sabbath, and he was doing his first solo record. It was going to be out on TVT, and um, we had just finished recording and mixing Demanufacture. Uh, we were getting ready to go to London for. Uh, promo because that's what you used to do, do used to do back then they fly you to do hundreds of interviews while you're in their office so we were getting ready to do that but before we left uh, our manager at the time handed me had handed me a cassette saying hey uh, i was handed this by gloria butler who is keezer's wife you've heard he's like you've heard of black sabbath i'm like of course well he you know he's looking to do his own record is auditioning uh singers and um a couple of people he already he told me a couple of people had 
auditioned and that they wanted you know audition a couple more i'm like okay yeah sure so i was handed a cassette tape and uh i started i had like three songs on it i was listening to it and i was like all right uh you know this is cool and and he goes well if you want to audition when you go to london they'll they'll pick you up and take you to birmingham so you're gonna audition i'm like okay you know you have two weeks i'm like okay so I had two weeks to come up with some ideas. And uh, there's one song I particularly um, focused on. It ended up being Giving Up the Ghost. And um, I really liked it. I didn't, I had words or whatever. I was just using my own words. I had them written down and uh, had my notebook with me. So we had one day we were in London and we were finished with doing um doing promo for a day is out a day off so on the day off i was put on a put on a train from london to birmingham i was picked up by their by gloria butler the manager and uh went was taken to his house and i met geezer opened the door with this big ass dog and um named baldrick and uh he sat down we chatted for a while uh, had a beer, whatever, and uh, and after chatting for like an hour, he's like, "So, um, you ready?" I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> so he takes me up to his attic studio, and I was like, "Oh man!" And it's an attic studio. There was all the platinum records and the bass that he used on the very first albums. And I saw the platinum record for um, Sabotage, and I go, "Oh, that's the record that got me into you guys. I love this record." He looked at me like I had two heads. He goes, "Really." <laughs> that record <laughs> yeah i'm like yeah, that's, that's what i was so he showed me the uh he had this mixing eight track thing for cassettes that he had recorded and he's like here it is this is how it works he handed me a microphone and he showed me how to work and he left me alone for an hour you recorded like, it yourself so he goes yeah record it yourself i'm like okay here we go so uh you know i recorded the one part the one focused on the one song i had ideas for the most and i did i did a ideas rough ideas on the other two but i I did a couple tracks vocals whatever on it and um it came up as you're done i'm like yeah sure so um we went downstairs we went out went out to eat indian food and he sent me on my way back to the uh the train station back to london when i got back to my hotel room in london I uh, got the phone call saying I got the job. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> so I was super excited. And uh, so like literally two weeks later, after the promo tour, I went to Massachusetts to Green God, Greenfield Studios in Mass- outside of Boston. And uh, it was literally a barn that had a studio on it. And, and that's where I met. That's where I met Pedro. That's where I mean, D- Dean Castronovo. Uh, and that's where I met uh, Paul Northfield, and that's where we recorded. It was fantastic. And uh, he goes, uh, so I go, do you want me to write lyrics? He goes, no. I got all the lyrics here. And so he hands me like 10 pages, 11 pages of lyrics. I'm like, okay, all right, this is great. And there's titles and everything. I was like, oh, which song goes with which? He goes, you figure that out. <laughs> and you're, you're okay with that with like singing other people's lyrics that's never a problem for you um i that was the first time i ever done it yeah and uh it was 
you know, it was weird. I was like, okay. But, uh, you know, I was, Paul Northfield was a great producer and he, we worked through it and, uh, you know, I was able to edit, you know, here and there, um, you know, but mostly it was for 99% of it, it's all his lyrics. Yeah. So uh, it was, I was the first time, but ever since then, I don't think I've ever worked with other people's lyrics. Yeah. Except like maybe doing like a duet or something like that on somebody else's song. And they had me the, the vocals, like, you know, I've done vocals on, um, you know, with Kills, not Kills, but you got Kill Gore Smudge and yeah. uh, Spine Shank and stuff like that. Other than that, I've always wrote, always wrote my own lyrics. So I just prefer it that way. So that's how that happened. And uh, we did one tour. We opened up, it was through the States. We opened up for, uh, it was Life of Agony and Corn. Damn. And our first show was at the Limelight in New York. You remember that place? You know what's funny? I only I only played there after they changed the name. I forget what the, it was a different name, but it was a great, great venue. Yeah, it's an old church down in lower, lower Manhattan. Um, but Peter Steele was at that show. And he was hanging out backstage. And I got a picture of Peter Steele holding Geezer Butler like a baby in his arms because you know, <laughs> Peter Steele was like seven something and Geezer is like, you know, five two. So he was like, I'm just laughing my ass off in the picture. It's hysterical. Geezer was laughing too. It looked great. So, which record though? Because the first record is Plastic Planet. Are you not on, are you on that record? Or are you on the Black I'm on Black Plastic Planet. I'm all Plastic Planet. And then, um, they decided to go with a different singer. Uh, and from what I heard is that because uh, I, I was focusing on Fear Factory. Gotcha. And one of the singer that wanted to, uh, I don't know, didn't have anything else going on, I guess. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey you, do you have any plans this year? Ha! <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. Bowie, Dylan, Marley, you've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, Fear Factory is obviously exploding at that point. So it, it was pretty, 
pretty yeah. pretty much that, that's the way it was going to be no matter what yeah exactly no one expected that and especially me so i um you know it was i i made a choice and so and there we have it but uh, i you know no regrets it was a fantastic record working with them and had a lifelong friendship with geezer butler and pedro house since then and indeed castronova and it's fantastic people it's a cool record man and i i I think it's like I said, it's one of those records that I think if you weren't clued in at that time, it doesn't get talked about that much. And actually, I think Black Science is, is actually really cool too. Um, but yeah, there's some good record, you know, good songs on all the albums. Yeah, but I I like hearing your voice on different stuff, especially because it's it's still pretty aggressive, uh, but it's got a little bit more rock influence, you know. So, yeah, but I was I, bringing it, out my rock side for that record. No, I was a huge Sabbath fan, still am. But, uh, you know, I love, like, Monster Magnet. Uh, you know, was that, I wasn't talking to you about Karma to Burn. I was talking to Roe about Karma to Burn. Yeah. But uh, I was, you know, I love heavy, groovy rock, stoner rock, whatever they called it. But, uh, you know, I'm still a fan of that. And so I wanted to explore that. I was, I was very happy I was able to explore that. Yeah, it's 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 great. And then people listening, check check it out. You can if you're looking on like Spotify or something like that, you can either put geezer as one word or G Z R and it shows yeah, up, they, I think. Yeah, they actually changed the name of it for the album. It used to be G forward slash forward slash Z forward yeah. slash R as like a computer's kind of like a computer thing. And uh I think they just re branded it when they re-released it as just yeah. GZR or just Geezer. I can't remember which one it well, is. Well, just for, for search terms, it'll show up if you just put GZR or spell out the word Geezer, but it's a re really cool, cool record. Um, so like you said, around that time, that's when Fear Factory was was really Pulling taking up. off. And, and <laughs> yeah. no, but I mean, you guys, you know, made records that really stand the test of time that were really trailblazing and breaking down doors and taking metal to places it, 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 hadn't been before you know Thank it's, you. It's, yeah, it's... it was it was a it was a conscious effort you know we there was we were all we all like different types of music but we all wanted to really combine it together to create something new and uh with the help of like reese fulber coming in to and greg really to mix the album um it really made a huge difference it really did it, that record took we started recording that in 90, summer of 94. And we first went to Chicago to record it in Chicago tracks. And uh, we were there, we were in Chicago tracks for maybe two weeks when we realized this, this, the, just the, the condition of the studio was not up to par. <laughs> so we're like, we gotta go somewhere else. I think we spent two weeks recording drums and after two weeks, they realized that two of the microphones weren't working. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, after that, we're like, we got to go. And uh, that's when we, so Tino and Colin went to, uh, they went to New York, Albany, to check out Bearsville Studio, which was owned by Todd Rundgren. And uh, at the time, they went there because Faith No More was recording there at the time. And Billy's like, yeah, there's an opening. You guys could come check it out. So we w they went and checked it out, and they realized uh, that we it wasn't going to be 
an open spot for two months. So we we left Chicago, drove 15 hours to Albany. We stayed in Albany for two months at our manager's house, sleeping on the floors or wherever. And um, at the, but we had to keep like practicing and stuff like that. So, um, God, I remember what's his name? Um, uh, the the drummer of Anthrax now. Benate? Charlie Benate? No, not John Monte. No, I'm thinking of something else. Um, I'm trying to remember the band. My old age, but uh, the band uh, let us use the basement. The guy, one of the guys, was living in the basement. Dave is his name. Oh my god! The other guitar player, Dave. That, he was a that, tattoo artist. That's Jason Bittner. Jason Bittner. Really? Jason Bittner. Yeah, because he plays with Overkill. I think that's what you meant. He's playing with Overkill uh-huh. now. He was in Shadows Fall and he was playing Overkill. Shadows Fall, that's right. And then um, so Jason Bittner let us use his basement so we could rehearse and uh, finish you know, working on the songs. And uh, so we were working in a song in a basement up, up the Hudson Valley, about an hour and a half away from Albany. And uh, so until we could go into Bearsville, move in and start recording there. So that was pretty cool. And when, when we got into Bearsville, it was Faith No More in the Barn and Bon Jovi down the hall. <laughs> good company. It was good. It was funny. Um, so, you know, hits hits are like, in the air, all right? You have to, like, siphon the hits that are just floating around. And hits are everywhere. And that's when <laughs> Faith No More was doing uh, King for a Day. Yeah, love it. One of my favorite all-time bands, all-time. It's a great, yeah, great record. I loved Angel Dust. I thought Angel Dust was a fantastic record. It's my favorite, but I loved. I celebrate the entire catalog. Yeah, they're great. Great, you know. Mike Patton really. I think Mike Patton set a standard for a lot of vocalists in the '90s. He's. I mean, he might be the goat, the greatest of all time in terms of. I mean, to me, it's like him, Freddie Mercury, like just in terms of the full like breadth of what they can do, like. When I've seen, I saw Mr. Bungle back in the day and I saw Faith No More, just, I've never heard a vocalist sound that, when I say, no, when I say good, I mean, there's a quality, there's a tonal quality of his voice. I've never heard anyone have that. It's almost flawless. Yeah, but it's, but it's just the actual tone of his voice. It, it sounds pristine in a way that's different than any, any other vocalist I've ever heard. I don't I know. Uh, it's, it's, it's. It's 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 amazing. I marvel at his vocal style and just how he can. Just, it seems like he effortlessly does it, and uh, I just marvel at it. As as do I. As do I. <laughs> do you have a favorite era of Fear Factory? I mean, we we know this era, which was the, these breakout records where the band was really exploding and selling a lot of albums and really connecting. Um, is is that your favorite era, or is there a different, or do you have a a vibe that you're like, that's that's what I enjoy most about the band. I think the most fun times were when we first started up to recording Demanufacture. I mean, up to recording Obsolete. Yeah. Because it was just, you know, the, the writing and recording and the touring, it was all fun. And it was, it was just a band of brothers and it was, and, and then we, and something changed when we started writing and recording for Obsolete, just, something changed and it just was never the same again yeah i mean it's you know i have like this weird connection with the band because christy prisky used to manage god forbid and christian 
uh, helped co- uh, co-produce one of our records. So I'm like close to that camp. So I was always kind of around the stuff that was going on with the band. And, and God yeah. forbid, Hope toured with Fear Factory. We never did. We never did. Wish we wish wish we did. It would have been nice. Oh, we did. No, we never toured together. Swear to God. Are you sure? Swear to God. We not, trust me. I, I remember. Swear, I could. I could. I could swear. I could have sworn we toured together. Here's what I said about me. All right. I'm like the Forrest Gump of metal. I'm just around. All right. Just, oh, there, there's Doc. I'm just around. I'm backstage. I'm. I'm, I'm hanging out. I'm, I'm stealing your beer. Um, but trust me, we never. I'm trying to think. Even if we did. I'm we sure did shows I, together then. I'm trying. I'm, I'm even trying I to think. No, I know. I remember seeing your singer on stage before, a couple times in backstage and hanging out. Well, yeah, I mean, anytime you guys played, you know, I'd go to the show. I mean, whether it's in L.A. or out in Jersey oh, wow. or New York. I mean, I've seen the band so many, so many times. Um, but no, we have. We we never did tour together. But I'm saying, just being around that, and I, you know, I've had multiple members of the band on 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 this show it always kind of to me kind of bummed me out you know because i have this very romantic idea of like a band right and like you know and it and it made me think of this thing of like once a band is profitable in a way that's kind of that can change people's lives money wise um that it it's almost like when you're broke and you're making no money, you can stay friends because there's nothing to fight over, you know. Right. Like all you have is each other, right? Um, and even you know, at you know, and and God forbid, only got to a certain level and really ne- never made much money. But then with Bad Wolves, I saw that situation when Zombie hit and how that brought maybe you know some bad uh, mojo out of out of that, and it was kind of this thing of like. I don't know, it always bothered me. I was like, man, I just hope I'm never in this situation uh, where I'm like fighting never. with band members. And it's like, it's just so, cause I just, I just want everyone to get along. Well, <laughs> you know? I hear what you're saying and I totally agree, but I think what we're, you know, what the, the thing is when you get to that, start getting to that level, it's the outside influence that's surrounding the band mm. that starts infiltrating. Sure. And that's, I think that's where the problem started. And, um, you know, especially the labels like, wow, you know, this is a, this is a band that could go further and do great. And so you start people from the label whispering into different band members ears about certain things. And, you know, it just starts becoming like, uh, a spoiled, a spoiled app. You know, it starts becoming spoiled and nothing really, you know, you start losing trust in people because you don't know if that's what they're saying or if that's someone telling them to say that. Yeah. So I think it's outside influences really that make that happen to a band. Um, you know, because when you're when you're when you're broke and you're not making any money, you're just throwing your ass off. Yeah, you're you're all in it together. But you know, you're still a business. As soon as the as soon as a band makes the first dollar, they're a business. Yeah. And, uh, and a lot of people don't understand that, but that's what ha- that's what you have to start thinking about it as, and that's how the outside influences start thinking about. It. Well, this band is a lucrative business. Let's 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 make them more money, which in turn makes them more money. Yeah. Was the considering your influences being you know kind of from the goth scene and and a lot of the new wave stuff? Were you the guy that brought the idea to do cars in? No, that was actually Dino. Oh wow. 
we actually started playing that in 96 on the demanufacturer tour because cars was being used for some kind of beer commercial in Germany. And uh, as a joke, we started, not as a joke, but we just started playing it a little bit at a time. And we didn't play the whole thing, but, you know, it kind of had a, you know, a good reaction. People were like, woo! But we never really meant to do it for real. And then uh, during, during the uh, obsolete recording, that's when we was like, oh, let's just fucking record it. And uh, we, we decided to record it because some, someone at the label said, oh, we can get Gary Newman in on this. It's like, okay, if Gary Newman wants to come in and do it, we'll record this record. We'll record this album or the song. And that's how that worked. But we, you know, we, we even early in the early days, we'd do other covers just to fuck with people. Like on the obituary tour in 93, we started, we, we would do like the first half of uh, the uh, I Feel You by Depeche Mode, just to fuck with people. <laughs> um, you know, we, we, on that tour, every day we'd come out to the uh, the song and they were dancing and singing and playing too. and that, that's the song we would roll out to on the obituary tour so just just we to, didn't give a fuck. We just like the original them. trolls <laughs> no we didn't care it was like well, look we didn't want to be portrayed as like a death metal band because we knew there was more to us we had just gotten off tour with sick of all and biohazard so we had like that you know devil may care um uh just a hardcore attitude is like fuck everybody that's awesome well he, dino was telling me that you guys didn't really play when cars even blew up you didn't really play it live which was surprising not really to me. no that's surprising to me like you didn't even try like was it a situation where you tried playing it and it just didn't go over or you were just like being it just like, didn't really fit in the set yeah it's like <laughs> it was you know it's like the redhead stepchild on the set it just kind of stood by itself yeah like okay here's this song <laughs> Yeah, but I feel like and now it, for something it, completely different. If it got a huge pop though, if like people just went nuts during it, I wonder if it if it would work. I don't but know. It, I'm, when we did play it, we did play it in '98 uh, in London at the at the um, not the Hammersmith at the uh, the other place, the, Brixton, the, Brixton, Brixton Academy. And Gary came on stage, and did it did it get a pop? Yeah, yeah, people loved it because it, right. it was fucking Gary Newman on stage. All right, I don't know. I might might have got a pop. Some it's got a different reaction when we did it by ourselves, but when yeah. Gary Newman came on stage, it was a whole different reaction. Yeah, I bet. And we yeah. liked it. We liked the reaction better with Gary. Sure, sure. No, it was. It's well. It's, you know, we have that in in common where with Bad Wolves, a cover song is what you know helped launch our band, and it's also you know a bit. You know, we put this metal record out and had this you know, one kind of, I don't call it a ballad, but it's definitely slow and kind of, you know, kind of ma mainstream, but it's this thing where if we don't play it, it almost would feel weird, you know, because people, you know, it's such a big moment, you know, during the set. Yeah, I, I felt like we should have played it a lot more that was because that's how a lot of people kind of attracted to Fear Factory was because yeah. of the Cars cover. Uh, the, it wasn't K, it was the K-Rock version of New York. But they started playing it all the time, and uh, that's what blew up. Yeah, for us, you know, that helps definitely, uh, you know, propel us to a whole other level in the, in the music scene. What's your What's your thoughts about Fear Factory's, I guess, role 
or just presence within the new metal like period like because it's it's in a in a weird way fear factory is is influential within that scene but then it also seemed like especially with like digimortal that the band seemed to kind of blend in a little bit more and kind of ride that wave as as well so what what's your kind of perspective on that uh, i was i never really considered this new metal at all um it wasn't really you know tried to do a lot of bands in that scene but um you know it, again outside influences uh you know coming in the label want you know the 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 fact that we came off a record obsolete that was a gold record uh you know the labels just wanted to push push the band even to great you know even further to try getting uh you know bought um Bob Rock to produce the album Digimortal, but uh, he was too bad. Everyone wanted Bob Rock to produce their record at that time, but uh, that would have been interesting. <laughs> it would have been interesting to me. Um, the demos of of Digimortal are better than the actual album. Yeah, it's uh, far more aggressive. It's not so polished. Yeah, the production style is a little different, but the songs are good. And and I was looking on Spotify. There, it's probably like at the top of or one of the, the most popular records as far as streaming absolutely you know it's one of the more po- it is one of the more popular records um but uh you know that's the that's the idea the the outside influence that was coming in it's like this is how this is the new sound that's making waves uh this is what people are listening to this is what's being played on the airwaves and this is what you guys need to sound like now and that's what we were pushed to sound like i'm like Okay. <laughs> yeah, what is, play, the, play the game. What what is what is kind of experience like that? Um, how did that kind of teach you about what you wanted to do? Did do you feel that because of that influence after that you were you'd be more resistant to something like that, or do you like yeah, you like I, or try trying to find what you want and kind of a better sense of the true artistry? Doing doing that record the way we did just solidified my belief and always do what you feel like you should be doing. Don't listen to outside people. Yeah. Because it, it always, you know, people at the label have no clue what they're fucking talking about anyway. Yeah. Um, they're just following whatever trend is popular at the moment, missing the train completely. And, uh, you know, just, and then in the long run, blaming it on the band. So it, what I learned is that just do what you do and make it sound good. And uh, don't care what the, try not to try not to follow trends yeah well yeah it's listen it's a it's a tough thing i think for any any artist because you're constantly trying to fight this battle between staying true to who you are evolving but also not feeling like you're um not sonically relevant you know and 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 depending on what you know we can we can go back to the history of of any of these artists and and kind of see oh this band kind of changed with the times and this band kind of stayed the same and 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 both things can kind of work right it just depends on on depends the how, band. yeah how how well it's done and how because i think you can have a band that changes with the times and it's completely authentic because that's what they want to do and they believe in and they don't want to stay in place and then you have bands that are very consistent like acdc and you put on any record any time and the sound works for some bands that's right but not all bands and it's like almost by staying the same it almost makes it more timeless you know right so it's weird it's it's, it's, weird but 
I think it all it's really uh, depends on the band. Sure. Really, you know, ACDC, you know, they could write the same song over and over again. No one cares because it's ACDC. It's same a good song. Iron Maiden. <laughs> you know, same with Iron Maiden. You know, they can sound, you know, they, they, they've never changed their, their sound at all. And uh, it works for them. I think the metal community is more discerning or I mean, not discerning, more loyal to the bands that stick to their guns. Yeah. And uh, and that's what they love about metal bands. Yeah, uh, well, I, well, I think it's sticking to your guns, but the it has, still has to maintain that high level of quality because you can do something that's similar, but it's not if it's not as potent and um, kind of incendiary and explosive because that's the thing about aggressive music is that, you know, it kind of germinates from this youthful anger and, and rage and all this stuff. And that's, as you get older, sometimes maybe you don't feel the same way or, and, and it's hard to fake, you know? So the bands that are consistent with it and, and can feel kind of creatively on, on top of it, it's almost like, it's very impressive to me when I see band, a band like Testament, for example, or Exodus that all these years later, they're, all their, their new records still feel vital. It doesn't feel like they're faking it. It feels very like they're still feeling yeah, that, that same energy, you know? those are good examples you know they continue to write strong music you know you got alex skolnick who's a sick guitar player so you know and then you got billy who's just like he is the man you know he's a fucking it's just an awesome front man he's an awesome vocalist so you got personalities that keep it going and they just they stay true to what they do because they're their fans don't want, want anything else and they they have such a large fan base they don't have to do they don't have to like do remixes <laughs> yeah you know that's that's not what they want to do i'm sure that but uh, you know time bands like that are you know is a testament to time <laughs> well kind of kind of speak speaking to that idea of changing and and the creative ebb and, ebb and flow one of the things I kind of noticed, especially about the stuff after Digimortal, because you have the, the two records without Dino, you have the four records um, when Dino comes back, and um, there's there seems to be a kind of consistency of understanding, like, okay, this is what Fear Factory does. It's right. these kinds of riffs and this kind of song construction and this type of lyrical content. And even I noticed, like, even a lot of the album covers in the last few records seem to be have a very similar theme theme to it. Was that something um, that you connect with? Or do you feel, do, do you feel that there was any, any sense thing of like that uh, was maybe, was that limiting at all? Like feeling like Fear Factory is this kind of thing and this, and this structure, was that something you were very tied to or did that ever feel stifling? I think we, I think we closed ourselves in a box to to find fear factory but at the same time it was almost impossible to move outside anything else than that yeah and uh even though what we did was we were writing good music and we're very happy about what we're doing i've some ways i felt restricted yeah a bit bit restricting because he's like this is your formula this is what you're known for this is what the fans want to hear so this is what you do so we you know, you do, you, you write your songs as you do, but you have to, you know, you'll write your one nugget or two on your record just to please the band members and just move on. But, uh, you know, we, we started, 
you know, we started something for ourselves and just kind of got, you know, stuck in it really. Is that is that uh, a big reason why you do stuff like Ascension of the Watchers just to get out uh, into a different type of kind of artistic well, it's a different mindset? Form of, yeah, different form of expression to do something different to to write music that I to to create the music that I was writing and to put my vocals with my my songwriting style and uh, so is that do, all you like you just you do everything with that project? Yeah, I I was the I. I was the main songwriter, so I am the main songwriter. So I bring in all the ideas, uh, write the guitar parts or the piano parts, and uh, you know come up with a song structure, and then bring it to I brought it to John or Jason. We would work it from there. I was like, okay, add this to it, add this to it. But uh, it starts with all the songs started with me. Yeah. And uh, have you guys gotten to like do some touring and kind of really get it out there? Or is it still kind of more of a studio situation? Uh, well, we're trying to tour. Um, we yeah. got this tour booked in September oh, right in, the, in the UK and uh, still five months away. So we're just, you know, just pushing ticket sales and, you know, create, aware, create awareness for that so we can, you know, have a successful tour. Yeah, I was listening uh, to the new record. Make, trying to make things, you know, trying to get a tour over here as well, trying to make things happen. Yeah. I was listening to a new record and it seems like the, the first record was a little more ambient and kind of electronic and this one seems to have a little bit more rock and kind of that gothic rock f feel to it is that something um what was what was the idea behind the kind of well, shit it, it was just the growth yeah uh you know the, the first record the first record was something that i worked on for a while and you know like you know it was the ideas that were coming out very beginning and i wanted to get them out and this is what we this is what i had to work with and this is what the ideas were coming out and after we did after that record came out and we did some tours we're like you know uh, i feel like you know i wanted to grow even more probably grow even further it's like i want the sound i wanted to sound like this i wanted to come off like this so for a, for a live intention so i wanted something more live sounding yeah and uh, that's the latest record. That's, I think, I feel like that's the way it came out. More of a, more sonically uh, exciting. Yeah, no, I, I, I dug it. It sounds great. You know, I, really, I, 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 I like the more rock feel to it. You know, get some guitars in there and, you know, turn yeah. it up. <laughs> well, thank you. And that's, uh, and that was the intention, honestly. That was, you know, wanted to get that across. More of a live sonic type of feel. Yeah. So you so with a project like that where you're primarily singing, um, is that kind of more representative of where you're at? Um, I guess emotionally and artistically and how you want to express yourself. Like, do you, are you if something presented itself to do more aggressive vocals, are are you like eager to do that? Are you kind of like ah, I've had enough. I'm I'm I just want to sing now. Like, are both still present for you? It, it all all depends on the music. It all depends on the project. Uh, for the watchers. That's what calls to me in the watchers. Yeah. But um, I've done other projects. Uh, just finished this project called Blood of Heroes, which is uh, it's a uh, it's out of Estonia, as far as like Estonia, Sweden. But um, it's uh, it's a uh, two producers getting a bunch of other artists together, like Justin Broderick or Doctor Israel, to to add to the songs. So they sent me two songs that like hey. 
who wants you to do stuff like this and would you be into it so one of the songs is like it's heavy you know it's like it's classic you know burton Bell, just like aggressive just to you know really you know get pushing it out there and then the other one is is more of like a watcher style with some you know classic burton Bell tendencies i mean it's all classic but you know it really depends on the song it really depends on the project and uh you know i'm not opposed to doing heavy vocals at all it's just uh has to be the right project was it strange being not being in fear factory but then having a record come out and be promoted and kind of put out there that you're that still features your vocals or are you just kind of happy that the work got out there and that the record was was still kind of being you know uh, i was happy that the, i was just happy that record finally came out yeah so dude it's we great finished that, we finished great. that record in 2017 wow holy wow that's crazy i know i was by the time it came out i'd forgotten all about it <laughs> oh it's like oh yeah i did i did do some work <laughs> five years oh, yeah, ago remember, oh yeah i remember that song oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> some good songs on that record you know yeah like it's really the, good. uh the song collapse uh, it's a good it's a good song the song the title track monolith is a good song yeah i like um, the mix on it too it's a great mix i guess <laughs> when, I fin- when i finished the record it, it was the record was done and agreed upon and then work further work was done Further work was done without my say. Gotcha, gotcha. I, I I can understand how that how that must feel. Um, I guess you know it's like I said. I I try not to get too uh too deep into the nitty gritty. I'm sure that's a lot of stuff you you're probably not interested in, in talking about either. Um, but you know I, I guess I'll have, I'll make a statement first. I I actually think considering all the stuff you've gone through, which is lawsuits and member changes and all this kind of acrimony you seem to have a very um positive mindset despite all of that stuff um thank you for noticing i do feel very positive about it well i mean what what is it kind of is that something that comes naturally is that something you've had to kind of like psychologically work through and get to this place i had to psychologically work through it uh you know it was you know it was difficult it wasn't you know, stepping away from Fear Factory was not an easy decision by no sure. means. But um, what I experienced for the past, for the 10 years, at least before that, uh, it, you know, the lawsuits, the acrimony, that was the one that killed me. And yeah. the, you know, I just had to realize, you know, to step away to realize, you know, they can take all this stuff from me. Uh, they can take the money. They can take, you know, the royalty, the royalties. They can take the trademark away from me. That I realized that didn't define me. They can take that, but I'm still Burton C. Bell, motherfucker. Yeah. And whatever, whatever I have, they can't take. Yeah. So I just got to move forward and do new things. Yeah. Well, it's I, one thing I've noticed, especially living in LA, is uh, how easy it is for artists to become bitter when something doesn't go their way, they get a stroke of bad luck or, or just whatever. Sometimes just, it happens, screw- man. Well, you, I mean, you get screwed over, right? Uh, bad manager deal, bad label deal. Um, you know, uh, it's never been my mindset because I, I just think uh, it's so hard to, to quote unquote, make it in this industry. Um, it is. Just Especially any level, 
any level where you're doing it and it's even if it's part time, um, but if you're having any success, you're doing better than 99% of, of, of everyone. And I, I just appreciate the opportunity, but it's like one of the kind of messages I try to get out on this show is to not carry the bitterness of like things not working out and that you just always have to just, if you love it, if you truly love it, right? Because like, I think you it's have to be a little- course. Yeah, but you have to be a little crazy to want to do this, like despite all the, the terrible things that could Absolutely. happen. You know, you have to be wired for it. You know, I made, you know, I knew a long time ago I wanted to be an artist. Way before I was in Fear Factory, when I was in high school, I was like, I'm gonna be an artist. To be an artist, you gotta suffer. <laughs> you know, you gotta understand that people want to take from you the entire time to what you create. They want to make money off of them, take it away from you, and just give you like pittance. But um, you know, being bitter is not my style. Yeah. Never yeah. has been. Um, you know, whatever negativity has happened in the past with Fear Factory doesn't even hold up to the amount of positivity. Yeah. That has happened. You know, it's just, you know, you can think about the negative and it can weigh you down so much, but it's not really that much in comparison to what the band achieved, what we created, what we provided to the music world. And for that, I'm proud and, and very happy. And, yeah, uh, man. You know, be, and no one likes, a, no one likes to talk to a bitter person at all. Uh, me for one, I was like, man, just get over it. You know, just move on. Cause you know, holding on to the, the past is not going to, doesn't serve me anything. doesn't serve anybody else. Anything kind of move on and show them what you can do from that point forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I agree a hundred percent. Um, besides the, the tour that's coming up, is there anything else uh, going on? You want to, you want to let the listeners of the show know about that? They no, can check I'm, out? I'm working on other uh, creative musical endeavors at the, at the time right now. Um, nothing definitive, but, Hopefully soon that I'll be pushing. Obviously, there's the uh, Ascension of the Watchers tour in September in the UK that I'm looking forward to. Um, I'm working. Are you on, on social? Are you on social media? Can people find you on social media? Yeah, I'm on. Um, you know, Instagram, Facebook. I do Instagram mostly. Facebook is just mostly like getting the pushing the tours or whatever. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have BurtonCBell.com. All right. But, uh, Check that out, people. I am working on the. Uh, you know, I don't. I am working on the Pantera graphic novel. What is that? What is, explain this to me? Pantera graphic novel. Um, I don't know about this. It's coming. It's the thirtieth anniversary of Vulgar Display of Power. Okay. And so the the band management and the remaining band members, Rex and Phil, are 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 basically uh, combining their efforts to make a special thirtieth anniversary edition graphic novel where they've picked 10 writers 10 artists to work together to write uh, a story for each song wow and i got asked to do one of the songs and uh, i've been working with this artist named john pearson out of the uk to uh, write a graphic novel for one of the songs well can i ask what song? story for the graphic novel i i can't tell you which song gotcha okay that's fine that's fine but cool. it's one you know there was a lot of classic songs songs off that record and i got one of the good ones that's awesome <laughs> that's awesome man well so listen. that's coming out in probably september all right man well listen then, man it's this has been really really um a treat man just to just have this conversation with you and i appreciate you being so 
candid about about everything. And you know, I'm 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 just a massive fan. I, I think you have one of the classic uh, voices in this uh, in the history of this you, of, of, of this genre. And and I'm all about just celebrating what you know, celebrating talent, celebrating art. And um, and just That's why you know, I want to talk to you because I could I could totally see that and uh, you've always been a cool motherfucker and uh, oh, thank you you're a great guitar player and I'm I respect everything you've always done and, and continue to do so and you know you're just a cool dude love talking thank to you man I appreciate it man well thank you so much you take care and I I hope to see and you're you because I I I know you like we're in Pennsylvania and so I would see you in L A are you like bi coastal are you out yeah bi coastal my shit. So I have uh, three children with an ex-wife, gotcha. and they live in Pennsylvania in in, the, in Central PA. So, but I'm remarried with my wife out here in north northern you know North Hollywood. Gotcha. So we spend most of our time out here and try and visit Pennsylvania as much as I can. Right on. Well, it's, it's good to know that you're around, and I can I can see you, and hopefully we can you know do some stuff hey, or hang ever- out. I, got, I love going to shows. If there's you know anything local that you love seeing, let me know. I'll meet awesome. you up. That sounds good, man. You take care. And, um, dude, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. We'll talk soon, Doc. Peace.
So there you have it. That is Burton singing with Geezer on a song called Drive Boy Shooting. Not Drive By, Drive Boy. That actually threw me off for a second there. And that's from the Silent Planet album. Is that the right? Do I have the right album? <laughs> Let me make sure I got this correctly. Uh, Plastic Planet. See? Silent Planet. Isn't that a, uh, that's a failure album, I think. I was thinking Prison Planet, you know, Paul Joseph Watson. I'm just screwing it all up. Anyway, that was so much fun. Uh, I, I had a really, really great time speaking with Burton, and I really appreciate him taking his time to be on here and just, just doing the damn thing. That was great. That was great. I got, you know, I got to all my questions, and, you know, I kept it somewhat, you know, tight. I feel like I kept the conversation tight, but that was, that was a lot of fun. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. And, uh, and yeah, check out that geezer record, man. It's sick. It's super sick. I like that, that four on the floor, uh, groove. It kind of reminds me of if, if Burton was singing for prong or something like that, there's some, a little snap your finger, snap your neck situation with that chorus, but that's, that's all good for me. I love some, I love some post thrash groove metal. All right. It's in, it's in my blood, but anyway, uh, I've been getting, you know, I don't know if you guys have been doing it, but I've been watching the NBA playoffs. It's a lot of fun. Uh, this is perhaps the the least productive time of the year for me because I, I'm just, especially this first round. Cause you got like, you know, some days four games, and that's that's it. It really really absorbs my time. Uh, but I'm I'm okay with that. Except, am I am I flying this week? I don't even know what damn week it is. I know I'm. Oh, I do fly this week, so I'm actually I'm flying the next couple weekends. Going to do um, Good Company show. I'm going to do some God Forbid rehearsals. So things never stay still. And then probably mid-May, I'm going to be back back doing Bad Wolves rehearsals. Then we have the Wedding Band show. So, And then I think after that, then Bad Wolves is going to start working on new music. So, I mean, I'll probably get some... I'll try and get ahead of that stuff now. I mean, we got... You know, we have some uh, some things in the works as far as uh, just personnel and, you know, especially we got DL in the band. That guy writes like a beast, man. It's, this next record is going to be, it's going to be something. But uh, I I like to let the creative juices ferment and, and, and let it all come out. But I, it happened today. Like I, I booted up my logic. I was like, okay, let me work on some stuff. And I just... I had no motivation. <laughs> I think when you haven't been doing it, it it uh sometimes it doesn't flow out. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get back into it. I got rehearsal tomorrow um with the wedding band. And after that rehearsal, I can kinda get out of rehearsal mode, get back into studio mode, and then hopefully I'll I'll get some work done and not be such a jabroni. But anyway, I wanna thank you guys for checking out the show. Uh it's it's a real pleasure to to be back, and I'm trying to focus on getting some really great interviews. I'm very excited, and just uh, take care of yourself, take care of each other, and I'll hopefully see you on the road soon. Take care, and Mamba's out.
Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now.